Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Good morning. Let's grab our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. While you're turning there, uh, James said we'd be talking about for the city. And what that is, is November 11th, 12th, and 13th, we just want to be the people of God here in Santa Maria. We're going to have opportunities for you to maybe just come and pray Saturday morning, uh, maybe a prayer walk, a service opportunity, maybe some painting of a house. Um, So be uh, aware of that, be thinking about that, praying about that. Uh, If you don't want to do any of those things, we just ask you that as you go about the day, uh, Friday and Saturday and Sunday, to just be the city of God. Uh, Philippians 3, we'll find out in in a few months when we get there that our citizenship is in heaven. And we just want to be the city of God. So as you talk to your barista at Starbucks, just tell them that God loves them and that you're praying for them. If you see a policeman, tell them that Grace Baptist Church is praying for them. We just want to be the city of God for our city uh, that weekend. It's just that we want to do it all the time. We're kind of focusing that weekend. We'll come back... um, I forgot to mention it in the first service. We'll come back Sunday night and have a time of testimonies and people telling stories about how God used them to be the city. So that's coming up. We'll have more information for you in the coming weeks. Philippians chapter 1. Hear the words of the gracious God in verses 3 through 8. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel message. Thank you that you sent your son into this world to do what we could never do, a perfect life to bring us to you. Thank you for your spirit that he sent to us to enable us, to empower us. And we ask, Father, by your spirit that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your word to learn just how the gospel transforms and changes a church body. And we are desperate for you to come do that for us today. We're also confident that you will. Thank you for your love, your grace, and thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a man stranded all alone on a deserted Pacific island for years And then finally one day this boat cruises by and the man frantically waves uh, the sailor uh, over to the island. The man hops out of his boat and after a while of conversation figuring out, you know, how did the man get here, how long he's been there, all those things, the sailor looks up and he says, "Uh, what are those three huts that you have there? And the man who was alone on the island said, well, that first one there, that's, that's my house, that's where I live. What's the next hut? asked the sailor. I built that hut to be my church. And then the sailor asked him, well, what about the third hut? And the man on the island said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) 
Sadly, this story has an element of truth to it. Many churches have lost what it means to be a church body. Many people have lost what it means to be a part of a church. They, they church hop and move from church to church. But perhaps worse than excessive church hopping is being in a church for years, but never truly knowing people. Never truly loving people, never truly realizing just how a church body is to be. Anne Ortland, wife of the late Pastor Ray Ortland, said this Every congregation has a choice to be one of two things. You can choose to be a bag of marbles clanging up against each other, hard, not really connecting to each other except in collision. On Sunday morning, you can choose to go to church or to sleep in. Who really cares whether there are 192 or 193 marbles in a bag? Or you can choose to be a bag of grapes. Mushed together, the juices begin to mingle, and there is no way to extricate yourselves, even if you tried. Our lives blend together in love, and in Christ we produce a sweetness that ministers to others. Each is a part of all. But so many people go to church today and stay unknown and lonely sitting in their place in their pew, giving their offerings, maybe even serving in some way in the church, but not really connected to the people of God. This morning, let's get honest with ourselves. What kind of church are we? What kind of church member are you? Are you even a church member or have you been attending for 10 years? Are you a marble Or are you a grape? Do we collide and clang together with one another like marbles? Or are we mushed together like grapes? See, in today's passage, we're called together as one body, as Paul will point out, to serve the Lord with joy and mutual affection. The only way that this can ever be true for us is that if God gets a hold of our hearts by his grace, the only way this can happen is if the gospel truly begins to do its work here at Grace Baptist Church in our hearts and in our lives. We'll never be united in joyful fellowship with one another unless the gospel does some serious work in our hearts. The main truth that we're going to see in verses these five verses today is this. The gospel glues God's people to God and God's people together. The gospel message that Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless, perfect life and died in our place and was rose again and ascended to the Father to bring us to God. That message is what glues us to God. And that message is what glues us together as a church body. And we see that evidence in Paul's prayers for the Philippian church. Look again at verses 3 through 4. Paul says to the Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. You, you can't help but notice the deep care and the warmth that Paul has and feels for the Philippian congregation. It's, at this point of writing, it's been some 10 years since he first planted this church there on his second missionary journey. And yet, the affections are still there. It's been 10 years, and he still loves these people. And so at the outset of his letter, 
He gives evidence of that, of his gratitude and the feelings and the affections that he has for the Philippians, and we see it in his prayer. We're going to break it down today and look at it. The first phrase of his prayer, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is the Greek word eucharisto. We get the eucharist from it. It means thanks. And Paul uses some form of this word 46 times in his letters. Paul is always expressing gratitude for others. He's always thanking God for other Christians. His thankfulness never wavered. His thankfulness went public. How many of us publicly thank God for other people? That's what Paul does here. He tells the Philippians that every time he remembers them, he thanks God for them. Every time they cross his mind, every time that he hears a report about them, every time they support his ministry, he thanks God for them. And he says he does it always in every prayer of mine. Now, this does not mean that every single time Paul prays, he prays for the Philippians, okay? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that every single time I utter a prayer to God, I pray for you Philippians. It's not as if Paul is riding on some donkey across some bridge, across a ravine in Israel, and the bridge gives way, and Paul and the donkey begin to plummet down into the canyon, and Paul doesn't say, Jesus, help me, and and let there be gospel-centered affection and fellowship in Philippi. He's not saying that every single time he prays, he prays for them. But what he's saying is that every single time he remembers them when he's praying, he gives thanks to God for them. And then he says he does it for you all. He says, I'm praying for everyone in the church at Philippi. We'll find out in chapter 4 that there are two ladies that, that Paul calls out and mentions by name who are having a little squabble in the church. And Paul says, I'm praying for everyone there. I'm not taking sides here. And then he says, I'm making my prayer with joy. Paul's thankfulness for the Philippian church, his prayer of thankfulness was always accompanied by joy. It's one of the themes of the letter. It's the main theme of the letter other than Jesus Christ. It's why we titled this series, Joy Unleashed. And Paul says, when I pray for you and thank God for you, my joy is unleashed in my prayers. In, in fact, the Greek emphasizes this. The Greek language is not like English. And you, you English and grammar teachers would hate Greek because in Greek, you can move anything around any way you wanted to to make a point. It's not subject, uh, object, right? Subject, verb, direct, object. It doesn't work that way. Greek, do whatever you want to do to make a point. Paul moves, actually, the phrase with joy before he says, making my prayer. So the Greek, Paul is saying, with joy, I'm making my prayer for all of you. Paul prays for this church, and when he does, he does it with joy. Paul likes these people. Isn't that crazy? Paul likes other Christians. And he says all and every, so much in these few verses here. You could paraphrase it this way. I continually thank God every time I remember every one of you, every time and in every prayer of mine for every single one of you, I pray with joy. With joy and thankfulness every time he remembers them. Paul is praying that way. And remember where he is. He's in a Roman prison because he was preaching the gospel. He's 
awaiting death in a Roman prison. And when he thinks about some other church, his heart bursts forth with joy and thankfulness for that church. You see, Paul's circumstances and the uncertainty of his future did not hinder his joy nor his prayers for others. Even though Paul has no idea what his future holds, he's thinking about some other church and he's praying with joy as he remembers them. His focus is on other people and not on himself. How in the world can a person on death row be so concerned about other people? How can a person facing such unknown in his future not be focused on himself? The answer is the gospel. Because the gospel glues God's people to God and it glues God's people together. Paul is on death row, about to die. And he's not thinking about himself, he's thinking about others. How many of us in the midst of our trials and tribulations and sufferings think about other people and pray with joy and thankfulness. Do we do that? Something happens in your life, what do we do? All we see is mirrors and we see our reflection. It's just us. It's all about us. My trial, my problem, all this is going on. Paul comes along and says, shatter the mirrors. There are other people on the other side. Think about them, remember them, give thanks for them and pray with joy. I don't know about you, but I don't go through my trials that way very often. I'm not sure I ever have. We could close up shop right now. That's enough conviction right there, right? To say, God, I don't do this. See, God's grace can transform you in such a way that you get your eyes off of yourself in the midst of trial and suffering and onto other people with whom you are in fellowship with. They become the center of your attention. They become the focus of your prayers. What causes this? The gospel. That Jesus Christ lived and died, was, is risen, he is alive, he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. That message for sinners dead in their sins and blinded by sin, that message that Christ died to bring us to God is the thing that got Paul's eyes off of himself and onto other people, thanking God for them and praying with joy. That's what the gospel does. Paul was evidence of a life transformed by God's grace. His prayers for the Philippian church never wavered. He told them publicly how grateful he was. He prayed for everyone in the church every time he thought of them, and he prayed with joy and thanksgiving for everyone. This is free. It came to me in the, the last service. It's not in my notes. It won't cost you anything. It's free. But I publicly thanked God for the musicians and the sound people. How often do we publicly tell people thank you? It, let me just do it this time for those who work with any of the children here. Sunday school, Awana, VBS. If you pray for the kids, whatever you do. Those who stepped up last week to serve. I thank God for you. We need you. Thank you. So your little application this week, find someone this week and just go tell them, I thank God for you and the way you serve. God gets glory, they get encouraged, and you get your eyes off yourself. It's a win-win-win situation. But Paul's prayer here is instructed because we have to ask ourselves, is this the way we pray here? Do we thank God for everyone here? When we pray for others in the church body, does it cause joy to rise up inside of us? Do we even pray for other people here? 
You may be thinking, but Benji, what about that person that just irritates you? You know that one that just gets under your skin? I'm supposed to pray for that person too? Here's the reality. You probably have somebody that gets underneath your skin, but you are that person for somebody else. We don't like to think of ourselves that way. Me? Get under somebody's skin? I'm God's gift to God's church. That could never happen. The reality is that you probably get underneath someone's skin. And Paul is saying it doesn't matter. If you're joined together in the gospel in a church body, you are to pray for everyone. We have a long way to go as a church family. But we can get there by God's grace. Because the gospel glues God's people to God and God's people together. Now, notice the reason why Paul prays continually, thankfully, joyfully, and comprehensively. Verse 5 says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The reason that Paul prayed such gospel-centered prayers is because the Philippians had partnered with him in gospel ministry. The, the Greek word here for partnership is that Greek word that we usually say as fellowship. And some of you Greek scholars know the Greek word for fellowship. It is what? Koinonia. See, I heard a few of you. See, that's some of those words that, that transliterate across. You know fellowship, right? Paul uses this word 13 times out of the 19 times it's used in the New Testament. So 13 out of the 19 times that anyone wrote fellowship in Greek as the Holy Spirit inspired them to write the Bible, Paul says... I use 13 of those. Five of those 13, Paul uses right here in Philippians. It's a central theme to this book. But what is fellowship? What is this koinonia? It's a partnership. It was a common word used in Paul's day for anyone who started a business together. If you went to another friend and said, let's start a a mule cleaning business or a fishing business, you would have said, let's start a fishing koinonia. It's a partnership. It's, It's coming together. See, we think fellowship is coming together and having a meal at someone's house or having a potluck after church. That's a small part of fellowship. Fellowship is uniting together for a common cause. That's what Paul means when he says, you have partnered with me. We have fellowshiped together with me. You have koinonia'd with me in the gospel. See, that common cause that united Paul with the Philippian church was the gospel message. And Paul says, you've partnered with me from the very beginning when you responded to the gospel when I preached it to you. You can read about it in Acts 16, the story of Paul planting this church. And I gotta tell you, as he planted this church, it was a ragtag group of individuals to start a church with. You had a rich woman named Lydia, you had a formerly demon-possessed girl, and you had a currently suicidal jailer. I wish the church planting conferences would talk about this. Go find the wildest, craziest, most messed up people you can. And when they trust in Jesus, plant a church with them. What a ragtag, messed up group of people. And that's what the gospel does. It takes sinners and unites them together and transforms them. It makes them be the local expression of the body of Christ. And this little church in Philippi had supported Paul all these 10 years, and they prayed for him. They were partners together with him, together for the gospel, the gospel message that Christ died to bring 
undeserving sinners to the triune God, to be with him and worship him forever in eternity. That's the message that united these people together. And it's the message that should unite Grace Baptist Church. So look around. We're a lot like the Philippian church. There's a bunch of ragtag individuals here united together for the gospel. And when you look at somebody else and you think, wow, think there's somebody else thinking that about you, okay? We're just a big mess of ragtag individuals, all different kinds of tastes and different things. We all have different views on politics, music, movies, food. Some of you don't like barbecue sauce on your barbecue. I don't get that. Some of you like mayonnaise. I don't get that. But we've all been united together. That's what unites us. The gospel message, not all the differences we have. We come together for one common cause, and that's to get the gospel to go out in Santa Maria, California, all the way to the ends of the earth, so that the nations will come and worship the sovereign Lord. That is what unites us. It's what we have in common. And that's the foundational reason why we should be affectionate towards one another and love one another because we're family. We're partners together in the gospel. See, the gospel glues God's people to God. That's what we're going to see in verse 6 next, and it glues God's people together. So Paul prays with joy, thanksgiving. He prays comprehensively, continually, but now he prays with confidence. Look at verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is confident because of the phrase that says, I am sure of this. Why was he confident? Was he such a holy man? Was it that Paul had a special in with the Lord? Was he telling the Philippians, listen, you don't know this, but whatever I ask God for, he gives me. No, Paul says, I am confident of this. I'm praying with confidence because I know that God started this little church in Philippi and God is going to see it come to completion by his grace. Even though they're miles apart, Paul knew that distance was no obstacle for the Lord. He knew that he could pray for the Philippian church and he knew because God is the one who started that church that God would be the one that finished that church on the final day. And because of that, he prayed with confidence. God began the work. At Philippi, God chose these people. He raised them from the deadness of their sins. He transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son. It was all the work of God. It was all God's sovereign grace. And that's why Paul prays confidently. Paul says that God began the work and God will complete the work. This is the doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. It means that those who are truly born again can never, ever, 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 ever lose their salvation. They will persevere to the end. That means anyone that has turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, you will persevere to the end because God started the work in your heart, and what God starts, God finishes. Do you understand that? You can't do anything if you're a Christian to sever and destroy eternally your relationship with God because God started the work in your heart and God will finish it. Now you can do things and live a life of sin and rebellion that you affect your fellowship and your communion with God. But as we saw a few weeks ago, your union with God is cemented and glued together because of the gospel. 
On top of that, we know from Scripture that Jesus lives to pray for us. Hebrews 7.25 says and that the Spirit prays for us because we don't know what to pray. So we have the Spirit and Jesus praying to the Father that we would stand there on that day and that God would finish his work. And I'm inclined to think that when the Holy Spirit and when Jesus are praying to God the Father for him to do his work of completion in a believer's in life, I'm inclined to think that God answers that prayer. And he does. It's God's transforming grace, his power that guarantees that we will cross the finish line one day. What day will that be? When will it happen? Verse 6 says, at the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Christ is the day Jesus returns to set up his kingdom on the earth and our salvation will be complete then. Scripture talks of us having been saved. It talks about us being saved and it says that we will be saved. Right now, our salvation is in process. This is called sanctification, where we are slowly being transformed by God's grace into the image of his son. But one day, the work will finish. It will be complete. We will be glorified. We'll have new bodies. Amen? But that means you're probably going to get the same nose or the same ears. But you won't get sick. There'll be no more corruption. You'll get new bodies. Be with the Lord on the new earth and be with him forever, an eternity of ever-increasing joy. That's the completion that Paul is talking about. He's saying, I know, Philippian church, you're going to be there someday, but in between then, I'm praying with confidence. I'm praying these things for you because God is going to complete that work on that day. You see, God's grace will keep us and cause us to cross that finish line. There is grace to the finish. And that's why Paul prays so confidently. So let me ask you today, do you know someone who may have wandered from the faith? Maybe they're, they're a Christian and they've just kind of wandered out there and they're just out there on their own, away from church. Take comfort today that if they are truly born again, God will complete the work. Remember, distance is no obstacle for God. Do you have a prodigal child? Be encouraged that God can and will complete his work. Do you have a child away, perhaps in college or the military? God can still work. Let this passage encourage you to continue to pray. See, the gospel glues us to God and it glues us together. We see it in verses 7 and 8 as well. Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. The reason Paul is so affectionate for the Philippians is because they have stood by his side through thick and thin. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way. It's this Greek word he uses several times in Philippians. It means to think a given way. He says, it's right for me to think this way about you, to feel this way about you, because you have stood by my side through thick and thin. In my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you have been there with me. And then he says, you have participated with me in grace. This word here for participate is the same word, fellowship, koinonia, except this time Paul sticks a preposition, with, on the front. And he says, you have with fellowshiped with me in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
They had participated in God's grace with Paul as he faced persecution and they stood by his side in his most difficult time. That's what fellowship is about. That's what koinonia and partnership is about. Standing beside one another in the midst of our hardest battles and circumstances and trials and situations. And you do it well here because I've heard stories. But if you have not experienced this kind of fellowship, open up with someone and share your struggle. It's okay. Paul's sharing his. You're free to admit your failures. The cross exposed you 2,000 years ago as a failure, okay? There's no louder declaration of the fact that you've dropped the ball and you're not perfect than God coming in the flesh to die for you. So why are we surprised when people say they've blown it? There's a big message 2,000 years ago that said, everybody's blown it. So you're free to admit your sake. So admit your faults and your weaknesses and your struggles with other people here and let them come alongside you and walk with you. That's what Paul is saying the Philippian church has done for him. They've stood by his side as he's been in prison. And then Paul says in verse 8, God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, ask God. Let him examine my motives and feelings. He'll tell you that I truly care for you and that I truly love you. He says that he yearns for them, which is this word which implies this strong craving or desire. I would paraphrase it as a pregnant woman craving. You know what I'm talking about? The kind of craving where a man will get out of bed in the middle of the night to go get some Ben and Jerry's Toffee Heath Bar Crunch ice cream. Ever been there and done that? That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, I I yearn for you. I'm craving fellowship with you. I want to see you. I've got the affection of Jesus Christ, he says, which the word affection here is this Greek word, which means the bowels or the gut. And I have to tell you the Greek word because it's like the best Greek word for bowels or gut. It's splotnois. He says, I've got, I've got the gut of Jesus Christ for you. It's like if you've ever experienced a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend in high school or college or lost a loved one. We say we feel it in our heart, but where do we really feel it? You feel it in your gut. And Paul says, I've got the gut of Jesus Christ for you. I'm craving and longing for you because you have partnered with me in the gospel and it has glued us together and I care deeply about you. See, when you and I have fellowship with the triune God, it changes us and produces affections in us for those we are in fellowship with. It all happens because of the gospel, because of God's transforming grace. So if you don't have deep affections for the people in this church body, it's because the gospel has not penetrated deep enough into your heart. If you don't have deep affections for the people in this church body, it's because the gospel has not penetrated deep enough into your heart. The problem is not the gospel. The gospel is power, Paul says. The problem is your heart. You aren't absorbing the truths of the gospel. So what we need here at Grace is we need gospel intoxication. 
that we become so overwhelmed with what Jesus has done for us that we want to love and serve others from a transformed heart. That we become so overwhelmed that we're made right with God. We're glued to him eternally because of what Jesus has done, not what we do or what we haven't done. And that message then frees us to say, I don't have to get your favor. I don't have to earn God's favor. I have it because of Jesus Christ. And then you just start loving people like crazy. That gospel intoxication that gets inside of your heart and you truly begin to care for people here, even the people that get underneath your skin. Only the gospel can change a heart like that. And it's power. And when it happens, you begin to do what Paul does praying these prayers for others, thanking God for others, praying with joy, and then becoming connected to others. One of the ways you can get connected here is join a small group or be involved in a Sunday school class. But get connected. Don't just come in here and hear a message, hear some music, and leave. Because I'll tell you the truth. You can get better preaching. You can get better music. You can even give to ministries outside the church. Did you know that? You can get all the things that you think a church offers you outside the church, on the radio. What you can't do outside these walls is love one another. You can't do that. See, the gospel glues God's people to God and God's people together. If we are to become a church of mushed grapes and not marbles clanging with one another. It is going to take God's grace, his transforming grace. It is going to take the gospel message. Maybe we should change our name just for one week to Grape Baptist Church. (laughs) Just to remind us what we're supposed to be about. Mush together, not clanging. Let's become a church that prays with joy for one another. Let's become a church that gives thanks for everyone here, even the guy with the annoying personality. Let's become a church that partners together for the gospel. Let's become a church that rejoices in and prays for the continuing work of God in our lives. A church that recognizes evidence of God's grace in our lives. Let's become a church that stands by one another in the midst of trial and tribulation and hardship. Let's become a church that truly loves one another with the affections of Jesus Christ. It can only happen by his grace. See, the gospel glues God's people to God and then it glues God's people together. May it be true of us in the coming years for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the wonderful gospel message that we don't have to earn your favor. Jesus has already done that. Help us then to realize that We don't have to try to please other people. We're so free to admit faults. We're so free now to go love and serve others because our biggest problem has been taken care of. We've been united with you, glued to you through the gospel message. And now, God, I pray that the gospel would penetrate our hearts 
and go deep into the nooks and crannies and the places where we harbor bitterness and anger in our marriages, in our parenting, in our workplace, in our neighborhood. Here in this church, God, may the gospel seek out the deepest crevices where we harbor sin and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. And God, then would you glue us and unite us together for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.